Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Josh McDaniels is not the coach of the Indianapolis Colts. We were all over that disaster in Indy where the Colts had their guy. They tweeted out the announcement, and then they lost him back to the hood and Bob Kraft after they put on the full-court press to keep him. Also, the parade is set for the Eagles tomorrow, and the mayor of Philly had a message for the knuckleheads who turned the town upside down Sunday night. Big day for guests today. Dan Hurley back in the jungle. NHRA Funny Car World Champ and Jungle Legend Cruz Pedregon came into studio and NFL Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer. And NFL Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer joined me to talk about what it means to him to finally slide on that gold jacket. The Daily Jungle starts right now. I mean, what an enormous day for the Colts. The team's official Twitter account tweeted yesterday, quote, We are excited to welcome Josh McDaniels, who has agreed to terms as our new head coach. Press conference scheduled for Wednesday. So finally, finally the long wait is over. They've got their guy. And they've already started to fill out the staff with three assistants. And while it would always feel better to be getting an offensive coordinator from the winning Super Bowl team. It's not that bad to be getting an offensive coordinator who already has a fistful of rings and already had a stint as a head coach. All in all, it's a huge win for the Colts to combine Tom Brady's offensive coordinator slash confidant with Andrew Yeah, because that's not happening. Sounded great, didn't it? That's not happening at all because word broke late last night that Josh McDaniels would not be the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Instead, he's simply going to stay on as the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. In other words, uh uh-oh! In fact, if you're the Colts, that uh uh-oh! has been on loop all night long because, according to Tom Curran, McDaniels had 15 hours of meetings with Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and Jonathan Kraft over the past two days, and then he ripped the ripcord. How very Belichick of him. I mean, that's a serious full-court press from the Pats organization. But you know what that tells me? That tells me that McDaniels already had doubts about going before those meetings even started. I'll tell you what else that tells me. He clearly felt that he had a better gig than the one he just accepted. Clearly felt that the offensive coordinator's gig for the Patriots was a better gig than being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. How's that grab you, Colts GM Chris Ballard? The rivalry is back on. Yeah, I'm sure they're shaking. Oh, the rivalry. Oh, no. The rivalry is back on. Like that was some kind of drop the mic moment. Yeah, I'm sure they're shaking. Oh, he went there. You you know, Colts owner Jim Irsay saw that and thought, damn it. They got over on us again. Time to let the monster get out of its cage to feed. Don't do it, Jimbo. Don't do it. It's just not worth it. I mean, what a bad look. What a bad look and what a bad loss for the Colts. And a pretty big win for the Pats. That means you've got to take down that old tweet and the presser to introduce McDaniels has been replaced by the one earlier explaining why you're not introducing McDaniels. Then again, 
What are you doing announcing a head coach before you have a cast iron deal with that head coach? That is such a bad look. And I'm not saying that McDaniels looks good here because he doesn't. But you better know you have the guy before you announce the guy. And the Colts didn't. And as to why that's such a big win for the Pats, it's pretty obvious. Who the hell were they going to bring in to coach Tom Brady? Who the hell was Brady at 41 and the best ever going to listen to at this stage of his career? Certainly nobody from the outside. And they obviously did not have anybody who they could do or hire from the inside. Or they would not have gone as hard at McDaniels as they did. If they had that guy, they would have let McDaniels walk. You know, the way they did Matt Patricia. The way they did every single player that Belichick has ever coached, not named Tom Brady. And it's a win because while Belichick is the GOAT, even he could not be expected to just reload after losing both of his coordinators and also maybe a special teams coach. Of course that would have hurt Belichick. He knew it, or he wouldn't have worked as hard as he did to keep McDaniels in that 12th hour. But when you get right down to it, this is one of those rare scenarios where absolutely nobody involved looks good. The Colts look bad because they announced a head coach before he was their head coach. McDaniels looks bad because he looks like he flaked at the very last minute. And now people around the NFL are always going to question whether or not they can trust his word going forward. Then again, if he's eventually going to take over for Belichick, even though there isn't a written agreement apparently, what's he really care? I'll say this for the Pats. Long the model of consistency and the envy of every other organization in the NFL, they continue to look more and more dysfunctional. Oh, wait, there is one more thing. One more thing. This tweet from Adam Schefter. Text from one league source, quote, that's Kraft putting it to the Colts again. He will forever try and bleep that place ever since Deflategate. Listen, if some of this is about all of that, then hell freaking yes. Where do I sign up? Man, I'm totally here for revenge contracts with your coaching staff in order to screw another franchise. Now, that is fantastic. I really hope that is the case. Maybe McDaniel's backing out is about that. Maybe it's connected to a report that there are questions about Andy Luck's health or the fact that McDaniel's is now the likely successor to Belichick. Although, again, nothing's in writing, apparently. Or maybe it's just about the fact that he didn't like what the Colts were selling. What it all adds up to, though, is this. The fact that if you're the Colts, a guy just said he would rather be an assistant coach somewhere else than the head coach of the Colts. That's got to hurt. That's got to really, really hurt. And the Colts have said they will honor the deals that they have with three guys who would have been McDaniel's assistants, which is classy, but it's also kind of weird because they're going to get a new head coach who has to take on three guys that he did not hire. What does that mean? The Colts, who had 12 losses last season, just took in their biggest loss in a long, long time. The rivalry is back on. (laughs) Are they laughing because that's funny, or are they laughing because that's a joke and it's ridiculous? I know it's not funny. Actually, the whole thing is kind of funny. (laughs) 
Cruz Pedragon in studio. Cruz, it is so good to see you, brother. How are you? Romy, it's such an honor to be here. You have no idea, man. To go, We go way back. Listen, listen to you back in the mighty 690 days, back back in uh, the early 90s. When, when, when did your show Dude, Seriously, you? it's a great point. I, my, it I got my break at the end of 1990. 1990, I started on 690. Yeah. I did updates. Then I got a night show in 1991. So, yeah, when you if you heard that show back then, you heard it definitely in the early 90s, maybe in 1990. You go that far back. I go that far back. I was just driving because I used to commute because obviously I, I I was racing at that time, but I lived in Camarillo at the time, sure. Moore Park area. So I would drive to Gardena where our, where our race shop was. So I would listen. I so I just turned it on one day. I just I, man, who is this guy? And so obviously with all the with you know with all that you do and your you know your takes on the sports, uh, it just I was hooked at that point. So I had a lot of time to listen to you, Jim. Yeah, it was awesome. I, yeah, it always works that way. If guys are driving around and you were in the 805, you had a long drive, so yeah. that's a good thing. Now, Cruz, listen, I've I'm having a good day because you're here in studio, but I've got to ask you. You're coming off spring training. You're in California. The Winter National start tomorrow. How is your life right about now? Well, it's good, Jim. Uh, we uh, we had a little bit of a rebuilding year last year. We, we brought on some new personnel. I was doing all the tuning, kind of like a. For some of you, for some of your clones and listeners, like I was the offensive coordinator as well as a head coach, so I kind of, it's way too much on my plate. So I decided to bring in a crew chief. Uh, others decided to help that too because we weren't having a. I, I just felt like we were not where we needed to be. My time, I was spread so thin. I wasn't having a good time, and the car wasn't performing. You know, this, this is like any sport; it's about performance. So I brought on Aaron Brooks, a, a legitimate crew chief. So I went back to just being a driver and and overseeing the operation, paying the bills. And it was a little bit of a struggle last year, so I brought in another guy who I'm going to call the uh, DC, the defensive coordinator. So now we have two legitimate guys heading up the operation of the car, the way the car performs, and, we, and it showed out there at Vegas or at Vegas at uh, Phoenix this weekend. We made a, a 389, which was the fifth fifth quickest of all the cars testing, and we finally made our first 330 mile per right. hour run. So we're pretty proud of proud of that. The Snap on Toyota was was on it. So uh, yeah, we're we're feeling good heading into Pomona. Clones, give me a moment so I can talk to you about Stamps.com. Now, here's a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't need that resolution this year because I've already done it, and I wish I had done it sooner. Stamps.com has saved me so much time and so much money. You see, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail, and you let the mailman pick it up. You don't leave your office. There's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. So Stamps.com saves you time and money. Almost everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, efficient. And those are all the reasons why I use Stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? Then go to Stamps.com. Hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Jungle. That's Stamps.com. Enter Jungle. Once again, to take advantage of this great offer. Stamps.com. Enter Jungle. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Cruz Pedregon, my guest. What a great analogy that is that you were the guy, you were the head coach, the offense coordinator, you were calling the plays. You had to get some help. Let me do this. I want to open up the phones. If you've got a question or a comment for Cruz and it's a good phone call and you're not going to bring us down, I will take it. Toll free, 1 800 636 8686. Cruz, go back to that thing about hiring a crew chief. 
Aaron Brooks is the guy, and he got some experience, really important experience. But he, even he said last year there were times where, quote, he felt pretty stupid. So there's a learning curve. Are you already noticing a difference as a result of the experience that he now has with you? Yes, and you know one thing about these cars, Jim, is even though their chassis are chromoly, they're all built in the same jig, most of them anyway. And you put all the parts together, we can all buy the same parts. There's no, there's no racing. Isn't like it used to be where there was a trick widget that you could buy that nobody else has. Pretty much everybody's doing the same thing, copying everybody. So really, it becomes what are the details? What are the little things that you can do to make your car different? And Aaron had five years racing the top field dragsters. So those cars had a little bit more grip, engine in the back, where a funny car, the car I race, has the engine in the front. Same engine, same nitro, you know, 10,000 horsepower. But it was just a little bit of a different uh, a concept that he just struggled with it. And I, you know, me knowing, looking over his shoulders, I didn't want to micromanage him and start getting there and say, well, you got to do this, got to do that. So I kind of let him run. I kind of let it run its course. Finally, halfway through the year, I go, bro, we, 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 we got to get our heads together. And we did. And we finally started to see the thing turn around. Aaron got his confidence back. But, you know, these cars, Jim, they're, think about it. They're, they're a 2,500 uh, uh, pound car. Uh, we, 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 the starting line, the track's grippy. It's all gripped up all the way, but it's, it's not an easy thing. People think, oh, you just step on the throttle, you're at the finish line. But the car, the engines are volatile. They're powerful. They make a lot of noise. And to get the grip, to get the car to go down the track, in under four seconds, you know, like I said, it may seem easy, but it's, uh, you know, it's a tough task. You have to have the the, the, com the combination together. I don't know why anybody would think that's easy. Cruz Pedregon joins me in studio. So go back to that. You hit 330, 330 miles per hour. Me, to me, that number is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, to any normal person, it would be. But you routinely hit speeds well in excess of 300. So what's 330 feel like? Hell, what's 300 feel like? Well, I can tell you this. When I first started driving Nitro Funny Cars in 1992, we were running about 280 miles per hour. Just to put it in perspective, we run 280 plus at half track. So let me break it down <laughs> wow. for a little bit. Half track is 660 feet. So the so that so if you take that, and it's been over two decades, but my body isn't ready for it. You know, it's like, you know, even the off season, I was rusty coming into the car, even though I hadn't been, I hadn't driven in three months. It just takes your breath away. The acceleration, Jim, you don't think the human body can handle it, but it presses you up against the, the seat. Your adrenaline's going, and it's a fast ride, let me tell you. And, you know, the biggest thing is I'm hoping the car stops nowadays. Believe it or not, the one, my biggest fear is parachutes. We have two parachutes. One, actually, if you, you just saw our run on there, we didn't, The par, one of the parachutes was kind of, was wrapped up, so... You know, these racetracks were built, think about like Pomona, take Pomona. That track was built in the late 50s. So we were running probably 150 miles an hour. So if you take away, if you go through the decades, we're running so fast now that the cars are really are not made for the venues anymore. So the NHRA a few years ago did shorten the track up by 300 feet just to give us that little bit of extra room to slow down. But we're back up to run the speeds again. So I don't know what, uh, what it's gonna, what's what's going on next, but... Stopping is a, is a chore. Cruz Pedregon joining us. If you want to ask a question, go ahead and do it. 1-800-636-8686 or shoot us off a tweet. You know, you and I have talked in the past about some moments where things nearly went terribly wrong, could have ended the worst way possible. When you have something like that happen, and Cruz, you know, this is your business. You grew up in the family business. But when something like that goes down, do you just shake it off and move on? Or does something like that stay with you for a while? You know, I heard one of our one of the legends back in the '80s, Don the Snake Perdomo. Oh, yeah. A lot of you guys have heard of the Snake, and I remember him saying back in the late, I think it was mid '80s, he he had a bit a bad fire, got out of the car, and he mentioned something about when you get older, you start thinking a little bit more about it. And you know what? I have come to 
realize that as I as I get a little older, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, and I have a daughter, six-year-old daughter, I do think about it a little longer, Jim. It takes a little longer to get the, I guess, the nerve up a little bit. Uh, so, But I really start to focus on the task at hand and the safety uh, requirements that, that you know, we now have a Hans device, so it tethers, you know, in the in the, our head in the event of an injury. So there are a lot of safety things, but I do think about it more than I did when I was in my 20s. I can tell you that. Well, especially with a six-year-old daughter. That would make sense to me. Okay. So I mentioned you grew up in the family business. Go back a little bit. You're the son of Frank Pedregon, who is a drag racing legend. He passed away far too young, Cruz. What was it like growing up the, with a legend as your father was in this business? Well, that's a good question, Jim. I appreciate you bringing him up. You know, my dad raced, but he, he retired when we were at a young age. So we never really learned about racing until we were older. And we was we would ask my dad about it and he would, he would slough it off. But we, uh, it was hard when my dad passed away because I always felt like, you know, we're gonna build a business, we're gonna be able to afford to go race. And then the day, and this is crazy to, to, to even think about it, but the day I heard my dad died is the day that I, I just had something come over me. And I know people are gonna think I'm nuts, but I was so grief stricken. I couldn't even, I wasn't upset. I couldn't cry or anything. I just thought, you know, I'm going to pursue my career. And Jim, it could have taken many turns. I could have not made it. I thought, you know, if I could just get in a car and, and race a little bit, I'll, I would have fulfilled my dream. But I live kind of in his name. I, my dad, I think, retired because he had kids. It was very dangerous at that time. This was in the 60s. So I kind of felt like, you know, I'm going to live kind of my through my dad a little bit and, and fulfill some of his dreams because he had a bunch of kids he wasn't about to go race. And at that time, you know, you didn't have sponsorships. You didn't have the dollars, you know, to get back into the, to put into the racing like you do now. So, so it's a little bit of that. And, you know, but I've had a lot of fun doing it, Jim. It's, it's, I've been successful for a long period of time, but I do remember one move I made. I was a higher driver in the nineties. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be in my forties or, or older and looking for a drive, a car to drive. So I decided I was driving for Joe Gibbs at the time. Uh, the, the coach, Joe Gibbs, Redskins coach. And I decided, you know, I really want to own my own team because Joe's going to be here and, and Joe gone. ain't going anywhere, right? Yeah, he's not going anywhere, right? So he was in a NASCAR quite a bit. And, you know, and he still is. And we're still friends. But I, so I started buying equipment while I was still a driver. And Joe gave me the opportunity to go out on my own in 99. And it's been a, it was been a struggle, Jim, but it's the best decision I ever made to, to become an owner. I, I lengthened my career a little bit, and uh, here we are. What a big swing that must have been at that time, Cruz. Before I go to break, and the clones are picking you up. They're lighting the phone lines up. Nice. So we're going to keep Cruz one more segment, take telephone calls. Did you spend very much time with Joe Gibbs back in the day? What was he like to work for and drive for? I did. You know, amazing guy, motivator. I, you can see why uh, people, you know, they say leader of men. You know, some aren't, some aren't. Joe was an absolute leader of men, very uh uh, how do I say it? Very motivating. You know, he wasn't even trying to, but I was like, man, because I was always an NFL fan. I thought, man, this is Joe freaking Gibbs right here. <laughs> so, uh, like I say, very, very smart guy, uh, very into racing. You know, I know Troy Aikman and Stallback, a couple couple uh, ex-players tried to, I think they formed this race, uh, race organization called Hall of Fame Racing, but I don't think they realized the passion Joe had. And Joe, yeah, Joe's making a good living. He's He's doing it, but Joe was around racing before he was coaching. He was actually, he actually told me one time, he says, you know, I quit drag racing so I can get a paying job. Mm. So, uh, so very much into uh, racing, but uh, what a great career he had. And 
obviously being an NFL fan, it was an honor for me to race for Joe. Cruz Pedregon, he is the owner and driver of the Snap-on Tools. Nitro Funny Car has long been a listener, a clone, an interview on the program. But Cruz, I mean, to come in here the way you are right now, to kill it the way you are, I got to keep you one more segment. The clones want to get to you. They want to ask you some telephone calls. So we'll take a short time out. He is in studio. Don't forget, the Lucas Oil NHRA Winter Nationals presented by ProtectTheHarvest.com starts tomorrow at Pomona. He's coming off spring training. Before we take the phone calls, you talked about the physical reaction you have in the car when you get up to around 3.30. I know that when you looked at this past offseason, you stepped up your diet. You stepped up your fitness game. What was the thinking behind that, and have you noticed any difference in the car? Real simple, Jim. I want to look good. You know, putting tight clothes on, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> Uh, you know, in the car, we'll run faster with your lighter. You know, you put a couple bowling balls in a race car that starts from a standing start. It's not going to go as fast. You know, and fitting in the car, these cars are little cars. You know, I'm six foot, uh, two, about 200. And the cars are really, the ideal size would be a couple inches shorter and probably 20 pounds lighter. So I want to be comfortable in the car. And like I said, just performance, looking good. And you know what? At the end of the day, I want to feel good and be healthy for my child as I get older. It's a good move. So you have a six-year-old daughter. Cruz, what's that like? Oh, she's amazing. She's uh, not interested in racing at this point at all. She's, uh, you know, a girly girl. But she has a little intensity and that little pain-in-the-butt attitude just like I do. So that's really cool to have a child that uh, that not only looks a little bit like me, but she she has the same little tude that I do. So I know she'll be a handful later on, Jim, but I love her to death, Raya. And uh, she comes to the races. She knows what it's about. And uh, she knows her dad uh, races, but, like, she – can take it or leave it. That's good. Let's go to the phones. First stop today, let's go to Los Angeles. Gabe in L.A. You're on with Cruz Pedregon. Gabe, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. How are you? Good, good. It's all great. Good. All right. Cruz, I got a quick question for you. Yes, Growing sir. up, what about the sport made you decide to do it, and what, should I, what am I missing when I'm watching the sport? I've tried watching it a few times, and I'm trying to get really, really into it. What about the sport can you point out and say, look for this, look for that, that's what makes the sport great. That's the sign of a great driver. The sound, the smell, and the senses of a nitro engine. And I'm trying to get Jim Rome out there. We have tickets, Jim. I want you to come out, and we'll put you on the starting line. It's the ringside. It's in the bullpen. It's the sideline. That's the way to do it, too, right? So, you know, really, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's, the, it's the sound of these engines. Think about this. The, the nitromethane is a fuel unlike no other. So when it, bur- when it burns in the cylinders, it makes a pop sound. So you have this harmonic, poppy sound that is the engine. And then it makes a crazy amount of horsepower. And then the CV's cars accelerate. You, you don't believe your eyes. TV doesn't capture that. TV uh, is like hockey. It doesn't really capture the sport as we all see it. So I would highly recommend, especially most of you clones out there, uh, to come out. Hey, come out to the track. Even go for one day. Go check it out and walk away from there and tell me what you think. Because, it's like I said, it's, it's the senses, the smell of nitro makes your eyes burn. Uh, it, it's just, it's hard to describe. Indy cars, I get it. They're cool looking and they go, they're nifty. NASCAR, they're on this big giant track. Uh, these cars are about hor- raw horsepower Power. and getting from here to there in a hurry. And it's cool because you can walk in the pits. You can walk in the pits, see the cars being worked on, the haulers. Uh, the, you know, it, so it's, so you're not just sitting in the stands the whole time. You get to go like basically get to go in the locker room. It's visceral, though, right? It's visceral. It's something you have to see in person. You have to see in TV person. TV would not do it justice. TV's not doing justice. And, you know, FS1's trying. They're doing a good job. My brother's actually the analyst on there. But but they're trying. But still, unless you can pipe in the sound and, and, and push in push the smoke through your speakers. Sure. And make you smell it. Uh, it's not going to happen. We're begging telephone calls. Cruz Pedregon joining us in studio. Let's go to Diamond Head. Aaron. Aaron, you're on with Cruz. What's up? Hey, what's happening, partner? What's up, partner? 
Cruz. Um, what up, Aaron? How does interviewing with Jim or being in studio compare to Woodscopes? Also, can I get a follow on Twitter? Godspeed. I'll listen to your answer on air. All right, man. There's a thirsty clone right there. Can I get a follow on Twitter? Hey, can I get a follow on Twitter? And, and if it's not too much to ask, you can chip me off a thousand bucks. And uh, can I get free tickets? All right, so the, the first question, a tough question. What's better, being in studio with me, doing an interview, or being on the wood scope? Jim, let's put it this way. My adrenaline, if you'd have hooked up an adrenaline meter on me when I walked in here and met the man, the myth, the legend for the first time, it was through the, I had to like calm, I had to use my best race strategy to calm Come myself on, down to start talking. Because Jim, I've been listening to you for years. You get it, and there's not very. It's not very often that I get interviewed by somebody more famous than me. So I'm a little nervous, Jim. But uh, <laughs> come on, because you know, I was just telling Jim, I go way back to the early '90s, a mighty six ninety, and uh, so it's been a lot of years. Uh, you know, and, and my career is is really I've been racing the whole time. I, t- I had one year, a one year hiatus. It was 2000. I was I was actually the TV analyst. I went up to the NHRA asked me to be the analyst. So I did that for a year. Got back into it. Actually, it was 01. 01. But uh, anyway, not to get off track, Jim, but no, it's, you kidding me? This is, uh, th- and I want to get some of that jungle karma too, Jim. I think really. Oh, dude, this, you got it already. Yeah. You have so much jungle love. So you have, have so much have, jungle karma. 24 races. This is the, we're going to have the first this weekend, uh, it, you know, and I'm, I'm expecting big things. Snap on tools, Toyota, follow it guys. And uh, I'll be in here a lot more. I'll be in here as often as Jim will have me. You How can about come that? in as often as you want. So nice. you clones want to make sure that you follow Cruz. You check them out online. You check them out on the track. Cruz, that thing about you putting on the jungle decal, I mean, that mean, that means the world to me. This is not a sponsorship deal. This is not something that I paid for. This was not something I asked for. This is something you just did. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you for doing that. I'm really proud of the association. But what made you throw that decal on your car? Well, here's the deal. Okay, so everybody knows you have to have sponsors to race these cars. I spend over $3 million a year. That's what it takes to fund this car. Mm. So I have to have sponsors. But there is also an element, the human element. I want someone to know that, hey, the guy that's in there is a Raider fan, the Jim Rome fan. And I want, I, you know, I had a dog that I loved dearly that passed away. It was it was a 12-year-old, one of my dogs. I put the... the her, what kind her, of dog? It was a golden retriever. Uh. And and I put her, her her birth when she was born. And, and you know, kind of like, you know, like like a, like a her, her start of her life, the end of her life. And I had that on there for a whole year because it meant something to me. So I have a little shrine up by my name. I have your sticker up there. I have the Raiders. You cut me, I bleed Raiders. You cut me, I bleed, bleed Jim Rome show. So... But I want people to know, hey, we are sponsored. We do have to have decals on these cars. But there's an element of, hey, Personal. I like I like this stuff. So check it out. I got to tell you something. And, and somebody in this business, I understand what this represents. You are doing business. You need sponsors. People pay for the right to get their name on that car. That is valuable, valuable real estate. And the fact that you found me a spot and I did not pay for that means the world to me, Cruz. I really appreciate it. You mentioned the Raiders. I know if they cut you, you bleed silver and black. But maybe not more so than this guy. Let's go to Arlington. If you hear that song, you know that means one thing. It's either John Gruden or it's Raider Mike. Mike. Raider Mike, you're on with Cruz. What's up? That's Matt, Kate. Thanks for taking the call. But Cruz, my man, I feel like you and I are brothers. Both huge Raider fans. By the way, I love that racing helmet. You know, I, I grew up in the South Bay there on the L.A. Strip. We could hear the roar of the engines as kids coming from Ascot on Saturday night. I drank many a brews in that parking lot. <laughs> my question, my man, is, you know, I'm a C-130 crew chief plus 20 years experience on Hertz. I think your crew chief has the baddest job on the planet. He ever needs any help, man, I will come work for free. I got my own eight-door stamp-on box. You let me know, man. Here's the silver and black in the playoffs. Rock on. 
Dude, I'd love to have you out at the track. Come out to the your local track. We'll we'll hook you up. You can ride along in the Sequoia with us and just hang out. But uh, Raider Mike, you're a legend, bro. And uh, C-130s, those planes are awesome. I, I actually got the opportunity to visit, I think it was March Air Force Base several years ago, and I got to climb into one of those things. What an awesome machine those things are. Cruz Pedregon joining me in studio. That, that's amazing. Little Raider Mike just talking the language. Talking like you guys are old school bros, and in a way you are. You're connected. Cruz, what was your reaction when... John Gruden committed to the Raiders. He's coming back. How do you feel about that? I couldn't believe it because, you know, John Gruden was getting criticized, rightfully so, by being in the conversation of every head coaching job that was coming up. He was like, John Gruden this, and he would kind of play on it a little bit. So I was beginning to think it was kind of his little way of a little bit of ego, but the fact that he took the job and took this job, and, you know, if you listen to his his, uh, press conference, he got a little choked up. And you know what? When he got choked up, I got choked up because, you know what? Something about the Raiders – uh, you know, that, that it's, I don't know. It's, you know, and earlier you had a caller on that was, it was got a little choked up about his Eagles. And some of these teams mean that much to people. And and I can tell that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, Gruden, Gruden. I, don't worry, I, man. I, yeah. I can tell happens Gruden, to me all the time. I can tell Gruden. Yeah. It was about the money, but I don't think he would have taken that job for any other team. So, you know, Hey, great. A uh, lot of pressure, but if anybody can do it, Gruden can do it. You know, it's so funny, Cruz. We talked about a call. You mentioned a caller for an Eagle fan who called the program. You know what's interesting? The show, you're seeing the studio right here, so we're now simulcast on CBS Sports Network. It's so funny. People are finding the show that don't know the show. So they're just calling the show like it's another show. This guy called earlier this week, an Eagle fan, and got really choked up during the show and said, yeah, like, my my godfather was with us, but he died a year ago. And the clones killed this guy because he cried on the air it's a really funny thing since you know the show as well as you do that all this time later people are finding it for the first time but they don't understand the culture of the show and the clones are rushing in it's a good time in the jungle is what i'm saying yeah you know and it meant something jim and i'm glad you you picked him up and you understood it and that's what i love about you and your show you're a real guy and you know, hey, that meant something to him. That, hey, that's what you want. Hey, sports uh, pay a lot of money. You heard that to, call, didn't you? Yeah, I heard the call. I listened yeah. to all of it. I got a little choked up. But that it meant something. That That's why they burned the place down a little bit. But, you know, these teams, especially the Eagles, they've been dry for, you know, had a dry run for a long time. They went to the Super Bowl with uh, with Andy Reid and, and that group. And then they just didn't quite get it done. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's emotional. And, and we all, you know, like we were talking earlier off the air, you know, passion is something that really drives – uh, the universe. I mean, if you think about guys like yourself, myself, you're talking about Tom Brady. Hey, passion is something that, you know, I mean, I may not have been the smartest guy in the world. I may not have been the best looking guy or whatever you want to slice it, but boy, I have some passion now. I mean, I, I pegged the meter with passion and it's not always the most fun thing to deal with. Our families uh, can, can get, uh, you know, get the, you know, we're, we're a little hard to deal with sometimes, but, but the passion is, is what is what his motive. If, if you can say anything about me, I have passion, and uh, I didn't ask for it. It happened, and here I am. You got it. Nobody ever got anywhere. Call it passion. Call it a chip on your shoulder, fire determination. Whatever you want to call it, it's it, and nobody ever got anywhere without it, and you certainly have it. Let's say another guy I think has it. Your wingman, Caleb Cox. You brought him here, my man. For those who don't know Caleb, talk about what he represents to you and to the organization. Hey, Caleb is a really unique guy. This guy's in his 20s, obviously a different generation than myself, but I hired him right out of college. He played ball, uh, a little bit of linebacker, uh, IU, and he was one of those guys that was kind of on the fringes, wanted to be a fi- MMA-type fighter, but he's this kid knows his sports. I mean, he knows. I say kid, he's, you know, what, 27 now, but he's into it. He's into the Jim Rome show. He, and he's, this kid's from Indiana. I'm thinking sure. he had to be from California to be in a 
to being at Rome. Oh no, this guy knows your show inside and out, Jim. He's a he's a, a, a boxing connoisseur. He knows all about Muhammad Ali. Knows the history. Knows who George Foreman, Frazier, all those great fights. He knows his football. Uh, I don't think he's into basketball or baseball, but this guy is a walking encyclopedia, and he has a passion for racing. I'm lucky enough to have him. Uh, you know, and here we are. He he does all everything for me behind the scenes. He's kind of the team manager. Every once in a while, he'll pack the parachutes on the race car. So he's he, he's a man of many hats. Uh, and I'm just just lucky to have and him. And he's an athlete. You wanted to hire an athlete, you got one. Before I let you go, Cruz, some love from Canada. Let's go to Toronto. Nick in Toronto. You're on with Cruz Pedregon. Nick, how are you? Doing good, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Cruz, nice to hear you. Um, I'm up here in uh, rural Canada, and um, one of my jobs is to take water to uh, Toronto Motorsports Park. Cruz, do you remember that place? Oh, yeah. Yep. Brace yeah, a few times. So, yeah, it's just a little kind of, we're out in the roots quite a ways from Toronto. But anyways... I get a call one day, and my job is to take water up there, and I get a call, and it says, Cruz Pedragon needs water. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal for me. We're out in the middle of nowhere, and I get a call for Cruz Pedragon. So I go up there to deliver water, but, of course, our connections didn't work, so I missed my big chance to meet you. But it's uh, good to hear you on the show, and this is even better probably. So are you planning on coming back up to Canada all, maybe? You know, they changed ownerships of that track. If they, if they ask us back, they, they did what's called a match race, which is like an exhibition race. Uh, but I also want to give a shout-out to the Oshuiken Speedway guys. There's a dirt track right up the road there that a good friend of mine that runs at. So, uh, hey, great to, great to hear the fans from, uh, from Canada. We used to race in Montreal back in the day. NHRA, uh, you know, got away from that. But a lot of Canada fans love them. We actually have a lot of uh, crew chiefs and team members that are from Canada. So you guys are representing well up there. We'll be up there one day. Hall of Fame class of 2018. My guest is Jerry Kramer. Jerry, my friend, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Jimmy. I am uh, higher than a Georgia pine. (laughs) You know, I've been waiting a very, very long time to say this. Jerry Kramer, member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It feels great, Jerry, for me to say it. How does it feel to you to hear it? Sensational. Just wonderful. It's it's been such a long wait, Jimmy, and I've had such a um, range of emotions, up, down, up, down, up, down, angry, petulant, disturbed, you know, okay, satisfied, I'll take it, okay, and, you know, all kinds of emotions. And finally I was kind of uh, accepting the fact that I wasn't in and that the game had been awfully good to me and that I really didn't have much to complain about. Uh, and so I was kind of, uh, kind of okay with that. And then uh, the nomination came and it started all over again and the roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster started all over again and this time it worked out and what a you know, we had a day on Monday where we uh met with the Hall of Fame and they went through a lot of the procedures and stuff and they fitted us for uh our ring, our jacket and our bust. And I, when I'm getting my, uh, they had a caliper that they measure the distance between your eyes and between your ear and your nose and the face and the chin and about 50 different measurements to make the bust. And that's when it really hit me. And it really, hey, this is real. This isn't make-believe. This is real. I'm either president of the United States or I'm going in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry Kramer, my guest. What a great story that is. Now, Jerry, I would argue, and certainly I have argued for years, that you should not not have had to wait as long as you did, but was it worth the wait? 
no question about it. Uh, just uh, being with the guys and the moment in the uh, in the honors show where the uh, Hall of Famers came up on stage. Uh, Jerry Jones came over and gave me a big hug, and Mike Singletary and uh, several other guys, and and that just really made you feel like part of the group and part of the organization, and uh, it was a wonderful thing. You could you could let it go and totally enjoy it, Yahoo, and carry on a bit, and uh, so the whole whole week was just a highlight, one highlight after another, and. Um, the guys that I went in with, uh, Brian Erlocker and, and, uh, the rest of the guys were all sensational. Just great to be with them. And, uh, I felt, uh, comfortable with them. I felt like I belonged with them and they treated me like I belonged and I treated them like they belonged. And so it was really a, a pleasant time, Jimmy, just a really the you know, one of the best weeks of my life. He's a Hall of Famer, Jerry Kramer, joining us. You know, Jerry, just to follow up on that quickly, you mentioned Brian Urlacher. I know that Drew Brees congratulated you in the elevator. Charles Woodson congratulated you a little bit later on in the evening. What's it mean to you to get that kind of love and respect from some of the younger guys? It's very gratifying. Uh, I'm very thankful for it. I'm very pleased with it. I'm proud of it. I, uh, it's just uh, a, a bit of a surprise sometimes, but uh, it's just really pleasant. The, the book keeps interjecting itself into conversations and moments that, Jerry, I read your book. Jerry, I read your book. And uh, have, you never have any idea about who happens to read a book, but that made him a little bit of a Jerry Kramer fan, a little bit of a Green Bay fan, and, and that's all very comforting and very wonderful to hear so uh it's it's just a it feels like you belong to me it feel like yeah i'm really here and i belong here and the guys are okay with me and they think i belong here so all of that kind of makes you comfortable and there's a, a little room where you keep those negative thoughts and uh, suddenly that room gets smaller and smaller Jerry Kramer joining us. Jerry, I've told you so many times that your book is the first book, sports book I ever read as a kid. I think it's an absolutely timeless work. It's a brilliant book. It's fascinating even today. When we were flying back from Minneapolis, Jerry, I actually ran to Jeremy Schapp at the airport, who I'd never met before. And, of course, you wrote the book with his father. You and I talked last week about the photo, a photo of you carrying Vince Lombardi off the field after Super Bowl II. And what the two of you might have talked about in that photo, I wonder what do you think Coach Lombardi would have to say about you going to the Hall of Fame today? You know, somebody asked me a while back, Jimmy, to uh, caption that photo, have a, have a little a blurb coming out of Coach Lombardi's mouth and another blurb coming out of my mouth. And we were looking at each other, and our eyes were locked together, and we were, it's just a wonderful moment for me. But I sat down and thought about that for a while, and I uh, came up with, Coach Lombardi would say, I told you we could do it. And I looked up at him, and I, I would say, you're right, Coach. You're right about everything. Would he have said that I knew that you were going to end up where you are right now, Kramer? Jerry, I knew. I knew if you put in the time the way you always did, you would end up right where you are with that shrine and that yellow jacket. I think that's about right, Jimmy. Exactly hmm. right. He, he, you know, he, he gave me a uh, tongue lashing 
at a uh, practice scrimmage one day, and uh, I jumped off sides, and he got in my face and gave me a what for, but later up at the locker room, patted me on the shoulder and messed up my hair, and I was really down. I was thinking maybe it's time to play for another team or find another job or do something else, and he pats me on the back and says, son, one of these days you're going to be the best guard in football, and it just filled me up with emotion and just uh, my chest felt like it was going to explode and I was just uh, in a state, you know, just went nuts after that. I tried to play the perfect perfect game. I believed in him when he said he believed in me and I believed in him when he said I could be a top-notch player because he didn't deal in, in nonsense and casual conversation. If he said something, he was serious about it and he meant it. So, he had a great impact on my football career, and he had a great impact on my life. Jerry Kramer, my guest. Jerry, one more thought and a question for you before you go. You're a kid who was born in eastern Montana. You grew up in Sandpoint, Idaho, and now you're going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, I want to ask, how crazy is all of that? Or maybe does it seem like the most natural thing in the world to you? You know, I've uh, got a birthday card about 10 days ago from my sister, and there was a picture of a two-year-old uh, pumpkin head standing on the porch in Jordan, Montana. Now, Jordan is 352 people at that time, and I've got a custom-made pair of overalls on, custom-made by my mom. i got a custom-made shirt made by my mom. And I'm standing there with kind of a quizzical look on my face and a little bit of a smile. And I just looked at that and I go, wow, what a journey. What an incredible journey from Jordan, Montana to the Hall of Fame. Could anybody dream that? I couldn't imagine that, Jimmy. I couldn't dream it. It was such a huge leap. So it, um, it's been a wonderful ride. Been and, uh, this kid's mighty happy. Jerry Kramer, remember the Pro Football Hall of Fame class of 2018. Jerry, I could not be happier for you. It's so good to see. It's a long time in coming, and from me to you, congratulations. I am very, very pleased for you and your family, Jerry. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate your support over the years and the many times we've had to visit, and it's been wonderful, so thank you. Rhode Island head coach Dan Hurley is my guest. Dan, it's good to have you back on. How are you? Jim, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Dan, great to have you. Looking forward to it. So you beat VCU. Let me start right there. You beat them Friday night by 13, Dan, in their place. It's a tough environment to play. What did it tell you about your guys that they could go out on the road and execute the way they did in a hostile environment? And that just we're a, you know, we're, we're a deep, experienced team. You know, we've got great guard play. You know, we, we are a really good passing team. We, we don't turn the ball over a whole lot. And we force our opponent to be uncomfortable at their offensive end of the court. So we're, you know, we're a deep team. We're battle tested. And, uh, you know, we're excited to finish the season strong. Dan Hurley joining us. Let me stick on that point for one minute that you're deep and you have experience. In fact, after the game, you said, quote, we out seniored them, out experienced them. It's a great line. Everybody always talks about the value of having seniors. But from a practical standpoint, how does that experience show up on the court? Well, just you, you, you don't blink during the stretch of games. You know, you have better shot selection. You tend to be a better passing team, you know, which, which creates better shots. And then, you know, you understand the value of playing high-level defense. 
and the importance of rebounding the ball well and just all the things that mature teams do. Dan Hurley joining us. You know, when you were on last year, after you won the A-10 title and you were heading to the NCAA tournament, we talked about what E.C. Matthews has meant to your program. You're currently on a 14-game winning streak, and it's coincided with his return from a wrist injury. What's it meant to have him back playing once again? Well, he attracts, you know, the other team's, you know, best perimeter defender, you know, and, and so much attention in scouting report that, you know, it just opens up the court, you know, for our other outstanding players. You know, and, and we could beat you at the three-point line, and, and we could beat you in the paint. Um, you know, and then to have a guy the last eight minutes of the game that could score big buckets, you know, those are the real players, the guys that can deliver down the stretch and you know, hit big threes and get to the rim and finish. And uh, he's a closer, and uh, we win when he's on the court. He's closer, and you talked about the great guard play. He's part of that four-guard lineup that is so dangerous. I know you and your staff watched some film of Villanova before the season to see how they employed their four-guard lineups. What was your takeaway from those film sessions? Oof, just uh, you know, how rock-solid those guys are. You know, they're like uh, brainwashed by Jay. Uh, they're, they're just in the right spots on both ends of the court. Uh, you know, defensively, the level of communication uh, – and uh, at the offensive end, just the spacing and the passing. And we um, we were close last year. You know, we almost got Oregon in the round of 32. And we, uh, you know, to take the next step, we knew we had to get better offensively, become a better passing team. And uh, we just went to school on what Jay does. Rhode Island head basketball coach Dan Hurley joins us. You know, about last year, you were close. You win the conference tournament, and then you make the tournament for the first time since Lamar Odom was a Ram, and you didn't just show up. You beat Creighton. You gave Oregon all they could handle in the next round. So what was that first taste of the tournament like, and then how much did that benefit your players coming into this season? For me, as a high school coach for nine years, it was one of the reasons why I got into college. Was I wanted to experience that as a coach. You know, I experienced it as a player at Seton Hall, you know, and 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 loved it. It was a thrill, and uh, but to take a program that was at the bottom of this league and 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 build it from the ground up with uh, you know with this group of guys, it's just been an uh, unbelievably rewarding experience. And the confidence that our players have from getting on that stage last year and playing real well, and uh, and almost getting to the Sweet 16, being two minutes away with a lead. Um, we're very, very hungry and determined to put ourselves back in that spot again. You know, it's so true, Dan. When you got there, that program was struggling. They were at the bottom of the league, and now you have more than 100 wins at the school. You've got that trip to the tournament. Being in the top 20 now seems like a pretty normal thing, and you've got a monster recruiting class on the way. When you first arrived, I know you saw opportunity or you wouldn't have taken the shot, but did you see this level of success being possible at Rhode Island and this quickly? Yeah, it was the, the Cap Mobley's the Tyson Wheelers, you know, the Lamar Odoms, you know, Jim Harrick and Tom Penders and Al Skinner, you know, some of the great coaches and players that have made runs. And I felt like if they could do it, I could do it. It was about getting the right coaches and, uh, and the right players in here and, and being able to recruit three and four star type talents to come in here. You know, getting three and four tar, star type talents, but Dan, for instance, I talked to Chris Mullen yesterday, and he talked about the need to recruit players who want to be coached. You bring a level of intensity to your practices and your games on the sideline. So, how do you go about identifying guys? I mean, you need talent, obviously, but identifying the right guys who want to be coached. I just think that uh, 
kids get weeded out in our recruiting process, uh, just understanding that they're going to be coached by a Hurley. You know, <laughs> not everyone's going to sign on for that. You know, not everyone wants to have the same intensity in a June workout as you would in a January workout. Um, you know, the standards, the levels of accountability. Um, you know, we, uh, we recruit guys that, that want to act out their career, want to grow as men, you know, get a great education and, and be ready to be successful. So, uh, you know, we, we don't play around. Uh, you know, we, uh, we develop our guys fully. And uh, when you get those types of hungry guys, workers, you got a chance to do something great. Dan Hurley, my guest. Listen, there's no way that I let you go without talking about intensity, without bringing up that vicious, savage, two-handed jam that you threw down at Roadie Madness back in October. Now, I know there may have been a trampoline involved, but from watching it, I feel like you did a lot more of the work than the trampoline did. What did it feel like to bring down the house like that, Dan? It was awesome. No, well, listen, man. I was crushing it for like a month leading up to that with a lot of leg work, man. I was getting my squats. I was doing my deadlifts. You know, I knew right. that moment was coming. You know, and at 40, you know, 44 years old at the time, you know, there was a lot of heat on me. If I would have got stuck in that rim and fell on my back like a turtle, that would have been a bad, bad night. So, uh, you know, I, I, I took the long run, man, and I, I hit that. I, I, I hit the trampoline perfect, and I crushed it, man, and I became a legend. There you go, clones. And this week, it's not Podcast Tuesday, but rather Podcast Wednesday. Make sure to check out my conversation with Thomas Jones. It's tremendous. Trust the podcast. Then check back tomorrow. See you then. I'm out.